Hey. Hey. It's so weird. I don't know why. I was in the room and then nobody was in the room. So I left the room and came back and now you're in the room. So I have no idea what happened. <laughs> well, it said that you had another meeting in process when I first tried to sign in. So I signed out a couple of times. That's so weird. Okay. Well, now back. we're here. But now Neil's not here. So let me text him and tell him that we're here. <laughs> he responded earlier and said, oh, there you are. Yeah. I don't know what I was doing. Yeah. I look like I'm in a bunker in Kiev. Yeah. I am very much in a writer's office. <laughs> mm-hmm. There you go. All right, Texted him. And now he's going to tell me, oh, is this on Zoom? I didn't realize it was on Zoom, even though I sent him a Zoom link. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's funny. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great story Pat Finn tells where uh, they go over to Neil's house and uh, Neil finally bought a house. And, um, they open the door and the door like hits this piece of furniture and they come in and all the furniture is really strangely, you know, arranged around the TV. And uh, they're like, well, what the hell, what are you thinking about here? I mean, you've got the chair up against the door. He goes, well, that's where the movers left it. And uh, you know, they're movers, so they know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Go with what they uh, detail. All right. True story. We'll be right. <laughs> He's saying it's asking him for a meeting passcode. Why would he even ask him for that? <laughs> Just click on the link on the email. Yes. So are you in Virginia? Where are you? I am indeed, yeah. I am in uh, Chesapeake, right next door to Norfolk. So not too far from where you played with the, uh, the show. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm in Atlanta. I enjoy Atlanta the times I've been there. Yeah, it ain't so bad. I ran into an old friend. We went to a Cub game last night, and uh, I'm kind of hurting today. (laughs) That's a problem with old friends. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, the old friends that are still alive go at it pretty hard. (laughs) Remind you how old you are. I don't need that, thanks. But uh, yeah, it was a good, good game. They hung in there for a while, and then, oh well, oh well. That showman, what's his name? The guy they got from the Mets, showman. Sure. Anyway, a little guy. He's you know this supposed impressive pitcher. Guy's tiny. Looks like he's about eight. Neil Flynn's iPhone. It's sign. Theoretically. He's going to connect with audio, and then he's going to find the video button, and he's going to be horizontal. <laughs> hey, am I in? You are in uh, audio-wise. Huh? Your audio is in anyway. We can hear you. There's a thing to hit for your video. I'm on my phone because my fucking computer knows I don't know anything. <laughs> There's a fucking commercial on now. Who, who knows? What's going on? I don't know. It says participants can now see your screen, but I don't know why you're. I don't know why you would want to do that. You just shared your screen. Why did you even do that? <clears throat> there it just suddenly asked, it keeps asking me to share my screen i don't know what it's doing well this is i don't like this i hate technology i, I got left behind and i and i stayed behind nothing's nothing's fucking easy i hit the button there okay enter your code i don't have you know and then you say you don't need a code but i the computer thinks i do and everything has a fucking password. I can't stand that. You go to buy a pair of sneakers, password. God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> anyway, so you don't know why you can't see me. No. In theory, we should be able to see you, and yet we don't. Well, 
I've learned that if something can go wrong, it will when it comes oh, to me. Hey, this maybe I could do this. Hold on. Murray's Law. Let's start your video. Okay. There, there we go. go. Hallelujah. Howdy, kids. Hello, hello. All right. <laughs> so we're recording this, eh? We are. And that's going to be a great intro. <laughs> yes. The, the more swearing, the better, I assume. That, that, that's always been my feeling, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just get so frustrated. I understand completely. Where are you no, today? You don't. You're probably good at this stuff. No, my daughter's better though, so I, therefore I feel inferior. Oh, well, you are. Yeah. See, there you go. Everyone's, and the problem is, it's not. It's not going to stop. It's just going faster and faster, more and more forward. And and if you're not on the train. You know, because now people ask you for like a, I don't know anything. They say, <laughs> okay, well, just just uh, scan it and uh, download it and and send it to me via Skype or something. I'm like, I don't I can't do any of that stuff. I don't know. <laughs> if you could have thrown facts into that sentence, you really could have. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know. Take back know. your eight tracks. That's fine. Onion paper and uh, fax that over to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess that's. Are you, hmm? are you in Los Angeles? Yes, are you? No, I'm in Atlanta. I said from my picture, it looks like I'm in a bunker in Kiev. Yeah, yeah. Kiev. Yeah. A nice one. I'm in a hotel in Atlanta. Why? Is it Bob Golf? Uh, no, I've been working on a show called Heels uh, for the Stars Network and. My my bride and I are playing husband and wife on it, and uh, we've been here a couple weeks now. Oh, that's great. Has it started airing? Uh, the first season aired. Yeah, it's on the Stars Network. It's a it's a wrestling drama. Oh, Mike, I said hi. <laughs> Michael Malley, yeah, yeah, the busiest man in the world. He's Michael a nice Mal- guy. I he think was I should yes. know Michael Malley. You should. He gives out jobs. Never. Does it? Um, yeah, it's to come by for me these days. Yeah, yeah, well, about thirty good years there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had my run. I might be, I might uh, be asking for too much. My uh, agent seems to either he's making an excuse or he says um, that in today's environment, everyone wants their cast to be as diverse as possible. I believe right. that. But uh, therefore, at long last, uh, the pickings are slim for straight white men. That's what he theorizes. What think you on this? Well, I thought I would be directing sitcoms at this point in my career and uh, can't get any of that work. That They're looking for full diversity there. Uh, okay. Yeah. Older well, the thing is, it's, it really is kind of at long last. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's so great. I, I, we missed out on the big TV money of the eighties, uh, the sexual revolution of the sixties and seventies, we, uh, we, you know, and now discrimination against old white guys. Wait a minute. This is, mm, damn it. Yeah. This isn't the America I signed up for in 1960, oh. but I know something will come along. Otherwise we're, I'm still fine. Yeah. I'm old enough to have been around long enough to have friends give me jobs. Exactly. Without having to audition some days. That's nice. Some days. That's another thing that's, um, that's new and might not go away. The um, uh, submit your own audition tape. True. Instead of arriving someplace. And I do not like that. I was going to say, I bet you're really good at that. <laughs> Just Why? For- <laughs> the technological bit we just went through. Uh, yeah, uh, well, that's what I'm saying. That's not necessarily your wheelhouse, I'm guessing. Neela uh, was great, except you, you were upside down. Hmm? was a great audition, except you were upside down. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and we couldn't hear a word. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And um, But I think that's probably sticking around. But it's, it's to me, it's, uh, I hate it. What, 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 for one thing, just record yourself doing the scene. No. First, I get someone else to play the other part in the scene or parts. I need another person 
Yeah. And not that that's impossible to do, but uh, I do live alone. <laughs> so I go out on the street. Say, hey, 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 pal. <laughs> the guy working just, on the sewer line. I'm just spitballing, but I think some a new sitcom with Neil and uh, you found a homeless guy that lived in your yard and uh, you befriended him because you needed somebody to record an audition for you. And uh, it just blossoms in, into a, just a buddy movie. I, I like it. I like it. I like it, too. Yeah. And maybe I he says the first scene. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come in and we'll, we'll shoot this thing. I'm like, no, 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 no. I didn't say anything about coming in. We'll shoot it here in the yard. <laughs> the lighting's off. Hold on. Let me check. I've, I've got a meter. Wait a minute. You're an old DP, aren't you? Uh, yeah, might have done a few films back in the I day. remember you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Thing writes there itself. It's just yeah. Well, sometimes you just should have a couple of improvisers write the movie anyway. I remember when Crash won the Oscar? Yeah. Crash. Like, wow, we could improvise that in an hour and a half. That would have, <laughs> and it would have as well. And, uh, but boy, it just... You're probably right. Although I, I kind of liked that movie, though. People reacted badly as if it wasn't a good movie. I thought it was a good movie. See, I, I'm with those complainer people, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's happened a couple of times. There's uh, either at the moment or in a couple of years after the award, people kind of say, wait a minute. Seemed like a good idea at the time, but. Wait a minute. Everybody's definite. Wait a minute. It's <laughs> a black and white French film. Okay. Well, there's, there's probably a good example. I was in that one. You were. Uh, I don't remember that. Did you play a Hollywood producer or something? I'm so good, you didn't even recognize it was me. Yeah, uh, you disappear into the I, uh, rainy point. Cop chased a dog for about three days on set, and uh, <laughs> and then I pulled the tiny Frenchman out of the fire, uh, and I I thought he was going to be Lebeau's side from like you know Hogan's Heroes, and he no, he's like a yeah. 200 pound six one guy. Uh, <laughs> this is work. Yeah. What year was that? I don't know, Neil. What year is it now? Uh, 2012? 13? Like I don't know. Okay. That's, yeah, I know. Time goes so fast. I was, you know what happened the other day? I was watching um, a thing about football. And they mentioned uh, in the draft this year is a young hot player named Derek Stingley. Derek Stingley Jr., Right. And I thought it's Daryl Stingley is the man who got paralyzed. So how could Derek Stingley Jr. work? Well, because it's not his son. It's his grandson. Get out! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you, you completely sympathize with what I'm feeling. I thought it was a player we knew as a kid. And it only makes sense. When we were kids, this guy played for the Patriots. And so that's been 45, 50 years ago. So, of course, it's not his son. But wow. it just blew me away to realize. Had you heard this kid's name, Derek Stingley? No, no. Yeah, I think he might have played for LSU. But anyway, he's going to be in the draft, and he's a star. But yeah, an entire generation passed without me, <laughs> without me noticing. Well, you guys, there's guys, you know, professional athletes. There's there's uh, several of them who. It's not that I saw their father play. I literally saw their grandfather play. Yeah. Oh. Wow. <laughs> so. This probably wasn't what you were going for, Will. Is this what we were supposed to do? Everything I could have hoped for. Thank you. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> well, actually, I'll, I'll ask a, an actual question. Uh, I, obviously, I know you guys go way back, but when did you guys first meet? Uh, presumably on the Chicago scene. No, I, I thought about that, and I think I got it right, Joel, and you tell me. I was out here um, getting no no attention or success whatsoever for about five years in the late 80s to early 90s and uh, i went home i went back to chicago in 92 but before that somehow some evening i recall walking down the street talking with you joe and i think that's the first time we had met you might have been involved in a project called grand at the time that's uh yeah 89 ish uh that uh, 
rings a bell. Yeah, no, that's what got me to LA. I want to say the first time we met, we didn't really meet. Uh, we played softball against each other in Chicago. And I remember thinking that tall guy could f- fucking throw the pill. He, uh, he's going <laughs> to, uh, and, uh, we played, we played for second city. I played for second city and you played for somebody else. And, uh, yeah. That guy's got an arm. I, if I happen to get on base, I ain't tagging up. Uh, but huh. I, I, I think we might have done a, you know, a nod. Yeah. So that was our first meeting in my mind. One of these. Yeah. Okay. You, that, that's, uh, that's more likely the case. I, um, you're not a show tune scary, are you? No, no. <laughs> show tune scary? Did you say? <laughs> I, we accused your team of various things. Who, do, who are you playing for? Oh. Um, in the early days, I played for various teams that I had nothing to do with. For the first few years, I was on Goodman's team, uh, as in the Goodman Theater. But I had no connection. I just had friends that, uh, that played for them and introduced me to it. Um, uh, I, I, I could play softball, though. That was, uh, as far as when you're saying what you're good at, uh, I would say acting. And after that, honestly, I would say softball. Well, you can say I'm good at this. I still have it on my special skills, I think, at the end of my resume. Uh, yeah. Do you? After horseback riding and juggling? Clarinet, uh, saxophone, and uh, softball. Yeah. Well, that's important. I went to an audition for Eight Men Out? No. Uh, the Shoeless Joe, Kevin Costner's Field of Dreams. Okay. To be a baseball player. Mm-hmm. And, and the lady asks the lady, the casting director, um, says, so do you play baseball? Which is a reasonable question to ask. And, uh, I said, yeah, not, you know, not that I could have gone to the pros, but, uh, yeah. And I saw her face fall Hmm. disappointment (laughs) that she wasn't having a professional baseball player. And so I don't go any further. Don't get a chance. I see the movie. These guys are in the background playing catch. That's what these <laughs> baseball players are doing. <laughs> you got a couple of them that have a part, like the pitcher, you know, the surly pitcher or whatever. But these guys are see, they're standing there with their hands on their knees or they're playing catch. And she wanted pros. <laughs> One of my best gigs ever was I, I got in 87. A uh, bunch of Chicago guys went down to be on a show called uh, Long Gone. Yes. Bill oh, Peterson's yeah. thing. Peterson, you, you're, you know, your Goodman friend should have gotten you in that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have, I have an audition for that. I'll tell you the story, but go ahead and finish. We got to play some real ball and we would. Yes. Play I was in the jealous, morning. man. And uh, it was really fun. And I, I, my highlight was one day I got a, a single double and a triple off of Nardi Contreras, who went on to be the White Sox pitching coach like the, two years later or something like that. But uh, I was like, well, yeah. I almost went cycle on him, except I. That's I right. Wasn't Eddie right. Blatchford in that? Wiz, Wiznet uh, was played by Ed Blatchford, yeah, from the American Blues Theater. <laughs> okay, so I get an audition to be in this baseball movie, and Bill Peterson's going to star in it. And they're having the auditions at the Remains Theater, if you recall. They're on Clark, I want to say. Yeah. And um, so, okay, there's uh, Peterson and who well, I've since come to know a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure if I told him the story or not. Anyway, it's him and some other guy, probably a, a producer, maybe director. I don't know, but um, they're they're holding the auditions, and me and this other guy, a Chicago actor that used to drop, appear in things like we did, uh, we're doing the scene, and the guy does the equivalent of like looking at his phone, but there were no phones then. He just suddenly realized something. He had to, and he leaves. He leaves. He, goes out in the middle of the scene he leaves the theater 30 seconds pass and peterson uh is curious i guess as to how it's going with the other guy so he gets up and leaves (laughs) me and the other actor are halfway through this scene like a three-page scene whatever it is (laughs) and we're there by ourselves (laughs) and he says his name was rick something i bet he remembers this he said uh should we keep going? <laughs> I said, I don't think so. <laughs> for, for what? For who? 
what's the point? And so maybe a minute passes, and Peterson comes back and goes, oh, yes, sorry, you guys. That was great. Thanks. That was great. <laughs> Which part? <laughs> Which was part my did you audition. like best? What, what? Which part of it did you like best, Billy? <laughs> <laughs> did you think we got better as we neared the end? <laughs> It says, so I, I don't have much luck for baseball movies. No, actually, because I did end up doing a baseball movie called Rookie of the Year, oh, yeah. which Danny Stern directed. That was when I first moved back to Chicago in like 93. And I went in there ready to go. Could you play the pros? I could have. I did. You know, I was ready to tell any lie necessary. <laughs> Yugoslavia. Yeah, I, not here, but yeah, in Yugoslavia, I played in the pros. Yeah, it's a much, much rougher form yeah. of baseball so yeah I'm, I'm ready to go i was drafted by the reds uh blew up my elbow you know i was ready to go turned out i didn't didn't have to lie i was never asked that but uh uh so i got to do my base baseball movie and playing a cub yeah. shooting on wrigley field and that actor like three days ago throughout the first pitch and sang stretch the guy from rookie of the year who's now a, a full-grown man you know um Yes, and I can almost tell you his name, Thomas something Mitchell. Uh, very nice guy. I saw him at a Dodgers game a couple of years ago. Um, Threw it pretty well. One of my, my greatest admirable moments of Neil Flynn, in fact, was because uh, both of us have thrown out the first pitch and, and sang at Wrigley. I, I don't know about singing for you, but I know I have. No, I didn't sing. I know you have. Uh, but, you know, they give you a, a jersey to throw out the first pitch in. And, uh, I, you know, I did it and I had Murray and nine on the back because I'm the ninth Murray. And then a couple of days later, Neil did it and he had 22 and Paul Popovich on the back. And I was like, wow, that is so cool. He went for the obscure utility infielder. And I'll, that is all. Oh, that is so Late cool. 60s, early 70s. They didn't know what was going on when they when I told them what jersey to they're like the, the what now? No, Flynn and what number? No, no, Flynn. I don't want my name. How would you say with Popovich? I still have it. Hey, I went to a um, a charity thing in Kansas City, and we were uh, playing on on the field that the Royals play on, and uh, they asked us to have a um, you know to have a jersey made, and a lot of guys had whatever Murray Nine or, or whatever, and I went for um, again when we were kids. Remember Cookie Rojas? Yeah. Was a second baseman for the uh, for the Royals in the '60s and '70s, and whatever his number was, I looked it up, number sixteen or something. And um, while I was there, I'm like cutting through the crowd to go to the bathroom or something, and the guy says, "Hey, Cookie Rojas was my favorite player." <laughs> and I go, "Cool." And he goes, "Are you him?" <laughs> <laughs> Cookie Rojas, if he's alive, is in his 80s and he was about five foot six and yeah. hispanic <laughs> what do you mean he was your favorite player yeah did you think he was nine years old and six foot five <laughs> uh, hell mm. people what are you gonna do with them oh hey joe by the way throwing out that first pitch i didn't know circuitous way it wasn't the, like the the way you should do it i have a friend from college that said hey do you want to throw out the pitch it i know someone who runs that and uh sure it just kind of fell into my lap like that but not through you know the cubs reaching out because i'm on tv or something it was uh, just my friend who has a friend well right. it turns out i was in some different pile than you were um <laughs> I wasn't the only one throwing out the pitch. There was honest to God. It was like the pitcher, the teacher of the month. Right. And like a, a crossing guard, a, a, a child. Yeah. And you feel absolutely horrible because they don't get the Jersey. They don't get given the Jersey with cookie Rojas on the back. They're just throwing it out in their street clothes and they think they're the only person doing it. And so there'll be like three, four people in their families and they'll throw their ball. And then all of a sudden, Hey, now from Grand, you know, not Grand, but from Mad Men, Joel Murray, and you know, pick up on the board and everything. And they're all like, well, how come my father didn't get any of that? And they, he, yeah. he's a, a jerk. And yeah, it's a little bit awkward. They're a pitch. The, um, 
afterwards, I throw the pitch to some whoever drew the short straw, some some kid that looked like a high schooler, but he had a, a, a uniform. And um, I think I, I tried to I gave the ball to my nephew who was there. So I tried to have him remember what this kid's name was in case he ever becomes somebody. But here's the thing. Um, after you throw the ball, fortunately, well, you told me uh, aim high. Yeah. It's going to go lower than you think it's going to. Uh, so I followed your advice and threw a high strike. And uh, this guy comes trotting out, as they do, you know, with the ball. And he's got a pen. And I think he's going to ask me to sign the ball. <laughs> no, he expects me to ask him to sign the ball. <laughs> Some guy who has never and probably will never, did never, play in a major league game I'm like hey, no billy i don't really need your uh, I, I might have taken that i know i don't i don't remember but it was an awkward situation i've, I've got a few of them and a, a couple of them it took a couple of years to find out who the guy was on the ball and they're like oh well, look at that he made it in the lineup today but, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no i like that i was able to get my uh, i had a signed kyle schwarber jersey that i gave to that nephew and um Fortunately, Schwarber's still around. The Cubs traded him after, you know, two years. So it's yeah. kind of a drag when you have a, a, a jersey of someone who doesn't play for the team anymore. But he's still in the bigs, and he's, he's, he's playing. So it counts. And Rizzo, which I've assigned uh, jersey, three home runs last night, leading the majors in homers. But, yeah, what, what do you want to resign him for? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, they said one thing. Uh, they wouldn't have been homers in any other park except for Yankee Stadium, but he was playing in the Yankee Stadium, so they count. Two, he's on my fantasy baseball team. So I was very aware of his output last night. And I need the help. He, he went undrafted, by the way. The, the man's stock plunged. Wow. But as, as of the moment, he's the number one rated player in the league. So in both leagues. Well, I went to the game last night in Atlanta. Uh, I'm here. And uh, it, was, it was pretty good. And Stroman, whose name I finally remembered, uh, he's a little guy. You yeah. think big dominating pitcher, man, but he's a little guy. He's throwing like 90 miles an hour. There had to be 17 hits that were caught on the warning track. <laughs> like <laughs> what this guy does, he just, he'll give you 280 feet, but not, <laughs> you know, but it's just so weird. Like, nope, that's gone. No, nope. oh, I got it again. Anyway. Is the that's unusual. Yeah, I know he, he's got like a charity or something that his size is mentioned in it, like height doesn't measure heart or something like that. Hmm. I think he goes like 5'8 or 9. But all the best to him. All right, so here's a stock question I've been asking everybody for the series. Okay. Uh, who was the first person that you worked with where you actually had a uh, had to restrain a fanboy reaction to that you were so impressed by? If ever. Go ahead, Bill. Cookie Rojas. Uh, <laughs> the first person I had to suppress a fanboy thing for me? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, my, my brothers hung out with some pretty cool people. I mean, I, uh, mm. like 1978 or something like that, I was in New York and Billy had an audition that he had to go to, my brother. And uh, he said, yeah, I'm going to leave you with my friend, Dan. And uh, back in a while, and he left me with Danny Aykroyd for about five hours. And he went and uh, met and on Tootsie and uh, he came back. And I just, I thought Dan Aykroyd was the coolest guy in the world. And uh, we went to a record the store. 70s? Late seventies when they were on SNL together. Uh, yeah. Wow. But Danny went to a record store and spent like $700. And I thought, Oh my God. $700. He just pulled it out of his pocket and on 45s and LPs. Wow. And uh, yeah, what's, what's a record store? Uh huh. Vinyl. Yeah. They're back. You, you know that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. In, in a sense, they never went away. Yeah. Still, um, well, that's that's pretty huge. Yeah, you, you, you grew up in a rare situation like that. Yeah, Not grew up, but as a, from a, your teen years on. That, you know, I was going to say uh, Dick Van Dyke, who was a childhood hero, sort of, in the Chicago area, especially. We, every weeknight, his reruns would play for my entire our entire childhood. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I was thrilled. I've said 
several times that that was amazing to work with him two different times. And uh, the, the idea that he knew my name was crazy. And, uh, and his brother working with Dick and Jerry at the same time was great. Um, but I have to say that before that, just doing a small part in Chicago, they actually made a TV movie called To Sir With Love 2. Yeah. And um, directed by, of all people, do you happen to know, Will? Uh, you know, I actually rewatched it right after Sydney died, uh, and I am blanking on it right this second. Let me see if I can find it. Real quick. I, I'm going to tell you though, okay. it's Peter Bogdanovich. Oh, yes. Hardly makes any what? Peter <laughs> needed a needed a I don't know what uh, a paycheck. Um, and who who can put him down for that? But so uh, my scene was with. I would have been uh, pleased to be working with. You know his name, Daniel Trebowski, what the guy from Hill Street Blues? Uh, Trevanti. Remember he, Trevanti, the chief. Yeah, Trevanti. yeah, not, not Polish Italian name. Daniel <laughs> Trevanti. I was I, I was glad to be working with him. He was playing some part, and uh, oh, I was playing a cop, unsurprisingly. And Trevanti was the teacher, and so the point is, Sidney Poitier was in the scene. I was doing a small part in a dinky movie with Sidney Poitier. And it was only a few hours, but I, I love, oh, I wandered off the set at one point. It was shooting in a school, an abandoned school, I believe, uh, or at least empty, not abandoned. And I wandered into the like principal's office sort of thing. Yeah. And there was a plaque on the wall uh, celebrating um, three men and i believe let i know it was martin luther king let's say jackie robinson and sydney poitier <laughs> are on the plaque and i'm like he's about 30 feet down the hallway this is crazy <laughs> but that's how iconic the guy was and i knew that and to wrap this up I when we finished they're like okay that's it for for neil thanks for coming in and then it hustle and bustle because everyone's moving to change the you know to the next location and so on and i look around and ah I would have liked to have shaken Mr. Portier's hand and just say, nice to meet him. Oh, well. And I turn around, and there he is with his hand extended. It wow. was a pleasure working with you. I just want to say you were marvelous. You know, whatever he had to say. Wow. What a class act. That's, that's well, just great. That's awesome. Yeah, I thought so. I get to, that happened, and I get to tell that story. So that, that really isn't it, don't you think, the, 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 probably the best part of the job is little things like that that you oh, get yeah. to rub shoulders rub elbows with people you admire or just that you i guess that's I did, it i did a hallmark movie with angie dickinson and uh wow. she was wonderful and we had a scene together and i was all excited about this big scene i had with angie dickinson and um we're walking over the set and she goes hey joel right I'm like yeah uh you know, that scene we have is uh, pretty much just reiterating that other scene before it. So I was thinking maybe we could work on that a little bit while we're wow. getting ready. I'm like, yeah, sure. She goes, you know, you, you say this and I say that. And that's all been said. And we could just do this and, and this part and, and here. What do you think? And I'm like, no, you're you're dead on correct, man. I, yeah. Uh, and so we did the first take and we had cut the scene in half and we just did the, the master and everybody, the directors and the producers are kind of like, okay, that's, that's really good. That was great. That, that was better. And uh, sure enough, we cut our own, you know, I cut half, half of my screen time, but um, yeah, it was so cool. And she would go you know, like, all right, well, you guys can relax. We're going to come around on this and she goes you know i'm just gonna stand over here out of the wind i could go back to my trailer they mess up my hair it's just gonna make everything take longer i'm like are you sure you're even an actress uh these are things you don't even hear and so i'm talking to her and just being nice out of the wind and uh she goes yeah i'm gonna go over and say hi to these gentlemen uh they're a little bit older than you but they're guys of a certain age well they they all grew up masturbating to me and i i'm just gonna <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I was like, she walks away and I'm like that is the coolest woman I've ever seen and uh, sure enough she made 
these guys weak. Uh, oh, but well, she cool. was. She was beautiful when we knew of her. And you see her old movies, and of course, she's gorgeous. Well, I don't know if she was 80 when I worked with her. She was still gorgeous. That's 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 amazing. That's um, I've heard of that. I don't think I've ever experienced it. But the the you know the, usually it's the star saying let's change this or change that or, or I don't want to do this or just scratching out their own lines. No, no, no. Um, I remember hearing once a guy. I don't know if he told me himself or not, but he he was in a movie in Chicago and they cast the one line parts wherever they're shooting. It makes perfect sense. And um, it was something like he's in the elevator and he says, fifth floor, please, or something, while the star gets in the elevator also. And the star said to the director after the first rehearsal, you know, we really need that line. I don't think, why don't I just get in, press the button and go? The director's (laughs) like, sure, Mr. Star, whatever you think. He might be right. He probably is right that they don't need the line. But somebody just lost their only line in the movie. Right. And when you're doing one-line parts in movies, it's pretty important to have a one line. Yeah, you can cut it later. Let me get let me get paid first. Yeah. Well, I imagine he was paid, but you know, they shot the fugitive in Chicago, and I had a small part in that. And I went to the they, they would hold a, a cast and crew screening, not a premiere, you know, no red carpet or anything, just a screening of the movie, which is fine. And um People were there who hadn't been informed that they were no longer in the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, several people, because the, the, the courtroom scene at the beginning was apparently much longer than it ended up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they were probably right to do it. I mean, it's edited so that he's a fugitive pretty quickly. He gets on that train, the train crashes, which was exciting. They get to it. So probably they all realize this. Why all this wasting time convicting him? So the guys that played his lawyers and, you know, whatever witnesses and so on, they had no idea they weren't in the movie. But some of them, you only saw their, the side of their head for a second and they had pages of dialogue. Oh. So it's so disappointing. It would be disappointing now. But when you're just beginning a career, hope what you hope will be a career. Boy, you want those the credit and the screen time and the. I had uh, three scenes where I fought with Woody Harrelson in Indecent Proposal. And uh, hmm. I was cut from the movie and like nobody told me. Uh, and I was going to the premiere. And then all of a sudden somebody said, yeah, you're not in it anymore. Uh, they, they, <laughs> they, they didn't want the funny scenes with you. You know, it was like high school, college, and then later in life, Woody and I get in three different fights. And uh it was arguments or fistfights. Well, I was always hitting on Demi Moore uh, when he was not around, kind of thing. And all of a sudden, it would just go to immediate fisticuffs. And uh, <laughs> fought on the lawn in one scene, and fought in a gas station in another scene. And it was funny because you just you could see he had this short fuse about saying anything about his wife. And uh, no, nope. right. um, oh, that's out, disappointing. Got out of the doors. Uh, I was a DJ. Uh, Still get checks for the doors one though. Uh, for some reason, I don't know how they can cut you out and then send you residuals for some movies and not others. Yeah, I don't really know how that works. I, have, I just uh, I just finally got on Curb Your Enthusiasm, even though uh-huh. we've known Jeff Garland since what eighty five or whatever. Yeah. Uh, finally got a part on it. I was playing a bus driver, and uh, Larry's going to take a bus, right? And the thing about driving a bus is you're facing the wrong way to be in the scene, right? You're facing away from everything. And uh, I get a call. Hi, hi, Joe. Yeah, it's, it's Larry. Uh, yeah, that episode you shot uh, is going to air tonight. Um, so I just wanted to say, don't tell your family because uh, you're not going to be in it very much. Uh, yeah. And I call the, the Chinese lady stole the scene. She was really fine. The Chinese lady was really good. And the black guy, they kind of, and you were, and I was facing the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, so you had to cut some things here and there. And those two were very funny. You facing the wrong way. So I just wanted to call and say, don't tell anybody to watch for you. Watch the show. Watch for <laughs> me, but, uh, not for you. And I just, I thought it was so great that somebody finally actually, balled up and, and, and told you, 
you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. And you lost the yeah. uh, screen time, but you gained a story. Yeah. Well, let's see how that's paying off. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's paying off already, yeah, in spades. <laughs> yes, yes. That, uh, it's, it's almost speaking of Seinfeld that I, I, liked the line in the in the famous restaurant uh, episode where they, they can't get a table or whatever yeah. and uh, is it jerry that takes food off someone's plate walking by george someone was all upset george yeah. did it someone was all upset at the obvious rudeness of it they got a story they'll tell that story for the rest of their life yeah. <laughs> i like that you idea you guys want to talk about uh the one with the nun and the priest Oh, wow. Yeah. How about that? Well, we did have the same sexual history. Uh, it was a, a friend uh, wrote it. Uh, and it was a wonderful script. And she came to me to direct it. And uh, we were friends with Jeff Rosenthal and uh, Gail Shapiro were the producers. And um, that's right. Neil played the lead. He, he was a wonderful priest in a non-cop role and uh yeah former really, cop in my in my head he had been a cop and decided yeah. to join the lady uh, I, I misused that word um well it wasn't the lead it was the male lead but uh, Teresa yeah. Mulligan who wrote it played the uh, female lead right but you were yeah. really good in it and you were kind of like a, a Harrison Ford uh, quality to you that you, you really had some great stuff but at the end of the movie, after we get it all done and, you know, we shot at my kid's grade school. And uh, so I'm thinking we're going to get this location cheap. And at the last minute, the, the lead nun, Sister Stella says, you know, Joel, we need a new transformer over here. And um, it's just been a blessing that you boys have decided to shoot here at our school. And uh, I think $12,000 will cover it. And uh, I was like, <laughs> we thought you were, we were going to do this for like a hundred bucks. But uh, uh, so we got jabbed by the nun for the 12 grand. And uh, at the end of the movie, we had a Beach Boys song um, that closed it out in, in a rough cut. You know, it was a, a placeholder. Like we need something here, but we put in this Beach Boys song and uh the one producer absolutely loved it and like, yeah, that's how it's got to be, but we're never going to pay for it. Uh, the other producer says, so nothing ever happened with it. Uh, they didn't, they didn't pay for the last song or replace the last song. And it left us in this position of, well, we could put it in festivals and stuff and, uh, we could do things, but we can't do anything until you decide this. And then the two producers got in a fight and it was just like dropped. Like we're, they're not going to do anything about it ever again. So I have like 200 copies in my garage uh, on a DVD. And uh, so when people ask me to direct stuff, I'm kind of like, you know, I don't know if I want to spend a year of my life working on something that you might decide you don't want to finish. Uh, yeah. Right yeah. I didn't know that. I, I hadn't. I hadn't heard that story. It's not like I was wondering whatever became of it. It was a short. We should be clear, yeah. uh, a short film. But, uh, but it was good. I liked it, and it certainly deserved to be in, in festivals. But, which Beast Boy song? Oh, whatever. I can't. I can. Mm. That's all right. It, Sorry, I put you on the spot. It uh, it goes perfectly with. Uh, a nun and a priest getting married at the end of the movie. Um, God only knows. God only knows. There, there you go. go. Thanks for being there for me. Nice call. Bring nice. yourself out the window today. I was thinking, be true to your school, but that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> the Beach Boys. Now we would have been Joel and I would have been in high school when the Beach Boys probably hit their most popularity. I don't know. They made a second wave of popularity. I think. Yeah, they were popular in the '60s too. But yeah. Uh, it kind of broke up again in the mid seventies. Yeah, I saw him at McGaw Hall with Chicago. Uh, uh, yeah. It was pretty good for my first concert ever. In the that was like the seventh grade. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Chicago had some great music. What was their original name, Joel? The Chicago Transit Authority. Very good. Yep, that's uh, correct. 
what was the yeah the original theme song for Monday Night Football? Was it? Yeah, that was the original Monday Night theme song. Is that feeling stronger every day? What is it? No. Children play in the park. Make me smile. I think is it's the beginning to make me smile, and it's got that. It is make me smile. Energetic beginning. I didn't know that. Very good. Um, yeah, that's something that's got to be uh, there's a handful of shows that have been on forever, like 60 Minutes, Meet the Press, SNL. But Monday Night Football has got to be up there. If that counts as a show, it's yeah. been on for probably close to 50 years. Boy, talk about a good idea. Right? <laughs> Someone said, let's try this. <laughs> it, it pretty much worked. Uh, but yeah, now you've got it on Sunday, Thursday, Monday. It's almost every night of the week. It'll eventually be football every night of the week. And I like the small market leagues are now like college leagues. The, the smaller markets are having their games on Tuesday because then they can be on television on Tuesday night because there's nothing else on that night. So uh, you can see Mid-America conference games on, you know, Wednesday or something. Yeah, that's good thinking. I won't be watching, but I know what they're, uh, what they're thinking. There's a bigger chance of me watching than there was before. Yeah. Because right. there's a game on. I mean, I, I don't care who, if the Phillies beat the Pirates or not, but if they're the Monday night baseball game, I'll watch it. Otherwise, I would not look it up. Now, I have a complaint for anyone who's listening, ESPN primarily, just because the Yankees are playing the Red Sox doesn't mean that the entire country is on pins and needles over who's going to win in the big rivalry. Every single time those teams played, they're the game of the night or of the week or the Sunday night game. Like we all care. We don't. Yeah. They make decisions. I'm like, you know, do we really have to see Steph Curry, Curry in every basketball game that's televised as well? You know? Yeah. The late games yeah, all players. Like, all right, great. Great. Can we see anybody else? Yeah, I know. Or, or the Knicks. When they're uh, anywhere near relevant, they'll be on playing a Golden State or whatever. Like uh, these days, it's John Morant. Give me a little John Morant. Yeah. Or uh <laughs> Getting back We're into sports, sports fans, folks. We're talking sports. There's uh, <laughs> old sport white guys. We like sports. We like beer. What else would you like to talk about? Well, I'll our, ask our health question. question. <laughs> All right, actually, another, another stock question. What's your favorite project you've worked on over the years that didn't get the love you thought it deserved? Hmm. It could be series, film, play, pilot that it get picked up, whatever. Well, one that, because I, I don't think I have a good example of one. So I'll go back 30 years to, uh, I did a play in Chicago written by an Irish uh, playwright, you know, from Ireland, I mean. And um, he came over to direct it. And it was pretty good. It was a pretty good, good kitchen, kitchen sink drama, you know, about this Irish family. And the review in one of the papers, there's two major papers in Chicago, and it mattered what they said about your play. The review complained about what the play wasn't. That we weren't talking about the troubles and you know, no mention of the struggles between Catholic and Protestant, blah, 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 blah. And it just ends with like bad review. Mm -hmm. That's not what the play was about. <laughs> the place, it was a single set. One family in their house, you know, yelling at each other, basically. But uh, a bad review based on what wasn't in the play. And by the way, one other thought. Um, my grandmother came to the play. My dad took my, his, his mom. Uh, Rose Flynn saw the thing. She's not from Ireland, but close. And he asked her what she thought about the play afterwards. And she said, I think that should be kept within the family. The, uh, you know, the arguing, <laughs> internecine struggles. They shouldn't be earning all their dirty laundry out in public. Like exactly. That. It was, uh, <laughs> it's embarrassing to have your personal 
So she, you know, so you go outside and pretend that everything's fine. That you didn't just fight with your husband and the kids and so on. But um, yeah, that's the end of that. Do you have one, Joel? That's something that you were disappointed by? Oh, uh, my film career? Uh, no. Um, I, I was a little disappointed with, um, and it was like the best gig I ever had. It was four blocks from my house for five years. But uh, Dharma and Greg, uh, it came out of the box and it got like best new series. It won a Golden Globe for that. And, and um, then they kind of stopped promoting it. And uh, they didn't they didn't give it all the, the ABC push they could have, I thought. And um, and then they got rid of Dottie Dartland, who created the show and was Dharma, which I'm like, who was thinking here? She was the one that had had all the romance and all the hairstyles and all the fashion, everything that kind of made it a hit with most people. And uh, then it was being written by Bill Prady and, and Chuck Lorre, who are, you know, two kind of nebbishy older Jewish guys who cynical, not, not romantic in any way. And uh, it kind of, you know, next thing you know, you got Kevin Sorbo on and she's in a wheelchair. And it's like, who is writing this now? <laughs> I, I, I really... I How long did it last? It went five years, but uh, the last two were kind of what? Uh, I just wish that Dottie Dartland had been around for the last two, and I think if so, it would have gone for seven, you know, and then you would have made that circus money that you know Neil Flynn lives off of, you know, that, that, that really good, that good dough, that eighties money. Oh, that second contract. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just a story. It's not. I, I could never say I was disappointed. The, the the middle stayed on for nine seasons, as Joel well knows, and tortures himself with. Um, but th this this actually happened. They were NBC, I think. ABC, I guess it was on. Oh, I'm confusing things. It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Scrubs jumped from NBC to ABC and back, or you know, yeah. who knew? Yeah, I think the middle was on ABC the whole time. Here's the point: watching. ABC promos <coughs> for their, their, their shows. I forget. Let's say we were on a Monday. I don't remember, but they say, uh, Thursday, whenever modern family was on, because a commercial would come on for modern family. And they'd say, you know, oh, the new modern family. And right. It was a very successful and very good show. So they deserved to promote it. But they'd say Thursday, tune in for modern family. And then followed by a brand new, Carla's couch or whatever the hell show was on <laughs> and they go they wouldn't list the shows and literally it ended with the line it all starts at nine we came on at eight the same yeah. night <laughs> <laughs> watch the middle before it all starts <laughs> so, <laughs> somebody you know I don't just it's not a complaint but I used to laugh about that who approved this you have yeah. two shows on before this. It all starts at nine. Well, <laughs> aren't we on a date? <laughs> yeah. I perpetually complained about the ABC's promotion of that show, as you know. I, if I knew I'd forgotten, you, yeah. you thought they poorly advertised it? Well, just, or, or rarely advertised it? Yeah, and it never seemed to get any love beyond critics. I mean, I, for years, I, I would wait for the Emmy knobs nominations to come out just it felt like so I could see Eden not get nominated I kept I was sure she was going to get nominated at least once and never it was insane yeah well that um there was one time she might have even won I think she tied in one like a critic's choice it was a critic's choice yeah, and I was thrilled for her <laughs> yeah me too and uh I once toward the end I had a nomination by the critics and I very much felt uh you know I appreciate it but I also felt that it was the critics saying their, their, their nominees weren't the obvious nominees. They were the opposite. They, I feel like the critics were saying, we're nominating people who never got nominated, but maybe should have been considered. Yeah. Um, like Eden, certainly. Because um, I wasn't the only one that was sort of a fringe guy. They were kind of saying, here's a, just a tip of the hat. Uh, so, but I've long stopped worrying about that. Sure, it'd be nice to win a, a trophy, but... Uh, you can't, I suppose you can 
there are probably some people who are bound to determine to win an Oscar or an Emmy or something. And then they, yeah. damn it, they did it. But uh, I think you're making a mistake. If you give that a lot of importance, you're just setting yourself up for bitterness. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you think? And man, you had a long career and something that's very hard to have a long career in. How do you feel? <laughs> Should have been given a trophy, a statuette. That's what I wanted. Yeah. Well, I, keep, I want to keep it about the hour mark, so I guess I will close by asking you guys each to tell your favorite Del Close story. Del Close story. Hmm. Wow. I have a quick well, one. Right. I did before. I didn't know. I wasn't associated with the improv at all back in the eighties, and I did a play with Dell, and um, it was a high point in his in his career. He played Polonius in Hamlet. Fantastic. He was. It was a high point for him. And I think later when we crossed paths again in the improv world, um, he always kind of gave me sort of a benefit of the doubt because he could be surly and, you know, unpleasant, but he never was with me. And I, I always thought it was because I reminded him of his glory day up on the stage because I was in the same play. Um, but there was a, 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 a moment of uh, chaos in the, in, in, in the play when the, the lights are fl- sort of flashing and the actors are scurrying and um, something went wrong. In, in a situation like that, if, if, if it, one person's movement is off by a little, it's like a you know, choreographed dance. Everyone's going to be in trouble. Like the marching band, if the tuba player falls, look out. Um, and that's sort of what it was. And I sort of crashed into Dell, who wasn't as, as big as I was. And he, in front of the audience, it's a relatively small theater, like maybe 100 and 200 people, maybe. Um, so we, we, bump in, we bump into each other and he goes, ah! <laughs> you would think that on the stage, if you say anything at all, he goes, my God, I ran into a monolith. <laughs> he had no one. Uh, he didn't care. He's having the time of his life, but he, oh, you know, one time a, a guy walked to the front of the, some people, you know, what are you going to do with people? Great ceilings you've got. Anyway. Say, oh, I know. Well, that I've been trying like hell to show it to you. And since we're getting yeah. to the end, oh, to, it's only a order. I, I might have a second room of this. Anyway, I'll, I'll make this quick. <laughs> the, um, a man decided, because what, what are you going to do with people? He has to go to the bathroom in the middle of the play fine but what you don't do is walk down to the lip of the stage turn and walk across the entire stage you know just below it to the the front exit go out the back the back exit is what you do you don't approach the stage like you're the orchestra conductor (laughs) and then cover the entire length of the stage with you del was on stage when that was happening and he's giving a speech of polonius's and he sees the guy coming and he just stops and watches the guy, you know, for the 30 seconds it took or whatever. He just watched him in silence. And when the guy went out, he started up again. I thought, good for you, man. He had, he had guts. He wasn't, he wasn't intimidated by anything. You're up, Joel. Oh, uh, I've got quite a few. I, I did a thing in Austin one time for the big stinking improv sketch where I introduced all the groups and I told adults, close story before every group and between every act. But one of my favorites was uh, we were going to Saturday Night Live and my brother, I was with my brother, Brian, and his girlfriend, uh, Sarah Holcomb, who was the, the 16 year old daughter of the Dean in Animal House. And she was the, the girl in Caddyshack, you know, thanks for nothing. Uh, and we're going <laughs> to pick the same up- girl? Same girl. We're going to pick up Brian's paycheck, supposedly. Who knows what we we're up to? And uh, we're in this kind of hallway and there's a buzz of people going on and you could tell there's this weird energy. And this is when Gene Domanian was, was the producer. Uh, Yeah. And uh, so all of a sudden Del Close comes by. I've never met him before. I'm bearded. He's got his uh, fly safety pin shot. I didn't know if it was a punk rock thing or if it was function, probably function. And, uh, Oh, Murray boys, Murray boys, you have any papers or pipe, anything you can smoke? Oh, search. And he, he goes by, but we met him for a minute and uh, we apologize for not having anything. And uh, 
my brother Brian says, well, why don't you wait in here? Uh, wait in this office. I'll be back. I got to get in my check. And I'll be right back. So we go in this office. And there was this really strange, awkward moment where Brian's ex-girlfriend started talking about her breasts and the fact that we had never seen them. And um, we didn't know where this was going at all. And uh, <laughs> I'm buttoning her shirt and Del walks in and that will, you know, get any woman to button her shirt back up. And Del walks in. <laughs> Yes, success. And uh, apparently Gene Domanian has just been fired at this point. And Dell's filling a big party boil, sits down and we're in her office at her desk and he's filling this big bowl of pot. And Joe, Gene where Domanian, is this? Second this city? is 30 Rock. This is at uh, SNL offices. Okay. And so Dell's sitting at Gene Domanian's office and she walks in and she's just been fired and she's crying and she goes, Dell? It's not a good time. And Del <laughs> for you. <laughs> That's all I said. This thing for you with this huge cloud of smoke. And we couldn't help for but you? For you? For you? You just been axed. <laughs> like I said, I didn't tell it that well. I had to explain it better. But uh, I we could not resist laughing. It was so painful. At the oh, man. So. He was a character. To the gods. Oh, there's my wife's at the door. You know what that means. That's perfect timing, even. Yeah. <laughs> you had her waiting out in the hallway all this time? <laughs> uh, we have to go get COVID tests. Uh, we're working on heels together. We play husband and wife. And uh, she's got her room, and I've got my room. See how that works? Nice. Yeah, pretty nice. Are you in a hotel or in a dressing room? Hotel, yeah. Okay. Is they is any of the hotel painted or carpeted? Ceilings are for shit. I'll tell you. I just you know. I'm sure it's lovely. Yeah, that ceiling is. You know, compared to yours. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Well, that's kind. Of, I was just in a hotel that's very uh, prison-like. It was like that's the thing they were going for. So, that's, yeah, that's, that's the style here. It's it's prison prison chic. I yeah. say, yeah. Um, congratulations on the job. Yeah. Uh, and say tell Eliza I said hi. I will do that. I haven't seen her right, in well, years. Well, I enjoyed this. Time. Excellent. Glad you guys were willing to do this. I figured you guys had enough camaraderie over the years. It'd be a, a fun pairing. So I'm glad we were able yeah, to make great. it work. Thanks a lot. I appreciated it. Well, tell us who we can see other than us, because we'd be interested in seeing other people. Well, let's see. The first ones were uh, Xander Berkeley and uh, who did I team Xander with? Uh, oh, Kurt Fuller. Oh, I know. And the second episode was Jim Beaver and Stephen Tobolowski. And then oh, third yeah. episode was Michael Hitchcock and Jim Piddick, both of you know, best nice. Is this thing called uh, character actors? Or uh, originally, it was called just a couple of journeymen. Now I've called it just a couple of characters because that way I could get actresses in there. They don't have to complain about well, not journeyman, I mean, journeywoman. Um, right, uh, right. Yeah. But, uh, but that's then, no, that's what you got. Yeah. I once but, told uh, Xander Berkeley in, in person, "You have the kind of career I want to have. You're just everywhere, but under the radar. You know, right. you're in that too." Yeah, he's uh, all the time. His episode is definitely worth a watch because he talks about how he uh, moved to Maine with his family and uh, his agents dropped him because of it. When? Just last year. I guess right before the pandemic, maybe. But uh, basically because he wasn't going to be, he wasn't willing to do series work as far as like being a series regular. He just was willing to do movies or whatever else and uh, they dumped him. What the hell? Yeah. Why, why bother with the formality? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I, um, you made me think of something that I, oh, shoot, I hate that. Never mind. I won't take the, take the mic. <laughs> we'll do a oh, oh where, where can I watch this? What's it? What's oh, it's it on called? YouTube. It's on YouTube. And uh, I'll send you a link to the, the playlist. You can watch all of them from there. Well, good. good. Uh, yeah, I'm also supposed to do one with Richard Kind and Dylan Baker together. Nice. Yes, uh, we know old Rich. Fantastic. Richard is the best. In fact, Richard set up that interview. I sent him a message saying I was thinking about maybe pairing you with Dylan, but I haven't talked to him yet. And then, like five minutes later, I get a text back. I've talked to Dylan. We're in. I talked to him. He's 
encouraged that we'll have fun? He knows I might be a little bit better. Slightly. I'll be the funny one. I'll do the jokes. All right. Okay. I'm going to drive across Atlanta to go get a COVID test. All right. Okay. Right. To both of you. Have Thanks fun. again for doing this. I really Enjoy yourself. Good Bye, to guys. see you, Drew. You when too. we get back to town, let's get together. Okay. I'm all for it. All right. I'm all cool. for it. Right. Uh, you guys. Appreciate it. Thanks again. Peace. Right. Bye. Later.